I'm not pulling out of my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, so one of the things I've done while at home is doing interviews with lots of people who work on magic and or community people on magic. But today I have someone who's worked on magic for quite a while now, Ken Nagel. Uh, so, uh, Ken, welcome. Thanks for having me, Mark, and this Not Drive to Work podcast. Yes, on the drive to my den. Okay, so um, le- I'm going to start with the question I've been asking everybody. How did you get into magic? Well, I was 14 or so. This is right in the time between middle school and high school. And the summer classes offered were driver's ed and uh, P.E., And so for driver's ed, we kind of sat around on the floor watching videos, but some people were playing cards on the floor. And when I took a closer look, they weren't, you know, jacks and kings. They were angels and demons, things like that. And I'm pretty sure the first card I ever picked up was a phallid from Fallen Empires. Uh, So I looked and said, this isn't a jack of hearts. What, What is this crazy thing? And every single card was something else equally crazy. So from there, uh, we passed the time in the super boring driver's ed class by playing with someone else's magic cards. And this is a time when uh, every deck was just all the forests and all the green cards. That's a deck. All so, the red cards and all the mountains. That's a different deck. Uh, right? So for, to give people some sense, what set was out? What, what round win was, was this? Fallen Empires, I'm pretty sure, was the latest set, and it was before uh, Ice Age. Okay. So. Okay, so we're talking ninety. Time, the first booster pack I ever purchased. Ninety four. Ice Age booster pack. Right. Yeah, this is ninety four. Ninety four. Okay. Okay. So, um, how did you go from from learning in um, in your driver's <laughs> driver's ed class to how, how? What's the gap between that and the first great designer search? Uh, so that was from 94 to 2007, 2006 ish. So that was a pretty deep rabbit hole to pick up that phallet and look at it. Right. And then to be making, you know, more green cards and more phallids because the game needs more and more. Uh, that was high school plus college plus grad school plus, uh, a programming job for the Navy, a different programming job for the Army. And then the Great Designer Search happened in 2006 and concluded around December 2006. My first day at Wizards was January 15th, 2007. So so what got you to try the very first Great Designer Search? Why did you even enter it? Uh, well, my friends were playing cards like just for funsies, right? Because we had our normal day jobs and played at night. And I said hey, here's a job thing on the internet. Mark Rosewater is going to run something like The Apprentice, an online interview. Uh, and I had played enough of the game through osmosis to potentially learn how to design new magic cards. Uh, I wasn't like most of the people in The Great Designer Search where I had like sets and sets of stuff that I'd come up with. You know, I had an entire... like. 20 cards I'd come up with or something. So uh, I did the work to get 
past the first few questions. Well, my friends did not. Uh, it's crazy how if you make them write 500 words about the color pie, they're like, oh, I don't know, and then they stop. But uh, through all the hurdles, I answered the questions and then did all the exercises and was barely hanging on uh, up until the final three. So so here's a, a story that I don't know if the audience knows, but it's, it's one of my favorite behind-the-scenes stories of you is – so. Um, the first you do the essays, then you take the multiple choice test, and the third test is a card design test where we give you cha- like we give you constraints and you have to design some number of cards so we can test your you know card design skills. And so I send everybody who had passed the multiple choice test, I sent out the card design test, and then I said you have to turn it in during this twenty four hour window starting at like midnight to midnight. You know you have twenty four hours to turn this in, and you turned it in at. Like twelve oh one a.m. Like the the first minute you could turn it in, you turned it in, uh, and right. everybody else like took time because you know uh, they, like they wanted to get extra time for the designs or whatever. But you turned it in immediately, uh, and I always remember that that you were the like you turned it in like twelve oh one, and the next person turned it in twelve hours later or something. It was uh... right. So my thinking there was, hey, here's the test. Uh, I probably am not going to pass anyway. But uh, what I can be is the fastest person to turn it in, that's for sure. And the test was bizarre because you sort of needed six cards that were five colors and like in all the card types, it just didn't match up. So uh, I turned in a bunch of cards that actually became real cards, like Dryad Arbor became a real card. Yeah. Uh, the Align the Hedrons, Hedron Alignment is a card I submitted back then that became a real card. So... Uh, it was more or less, I used three or so cards from the 20 I'd already made and then just filled in the rest of the blanks to fill the colors, card types, and converted mana costs that were missing. Uh, and then just hit send because I could sit there and mull it over or I could be the first one and make an impression that way. Yeah, it was funny because I was a little frustrated when I saw that you turned in. I'm like, oh, come on, he didn't even maximize his time. And then I looked at him and I go, that is pretty good. <laughs> So and anyway, so you uh, obviously did well. The great designer search, um, coming in second basically, um, but you 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 got offered an internship. So coming in second, uh, you still got an internship. So um, what was that like being an intern at Wizard? What was the, that uh, that experience? So it's a it's a lot of work. Most people think that making games, designing games, playing games, testing games, producing them, it's all fun, you know. There's no uh, drama, there's no busy work, there's no uh, grinding, but it definitely, it's a company with cubicles and paperwork and all that jazz, so, but uh, I definitely wanted to uh, learn as much as I could, because, you know, I'm operating under the assumption that I'm not going to get far in this great design research, so I'm still operating under the assumption I'm not going to get very far in this internship either, right? So, uh I had assumed I would eventually have to move back, but uh, I had a dual internship with both Magic and Dual Masters, and I've led three Dual Masters sets uh, between that internship and now. So I had to do multiple games, multiple like resource systems, and uh, just try to keep up to speed. Because once you hit inside the doors, it's it's not like there's a set. It's three months working on that. 
like the real world, it's no, there's like six sets all in flight of various completionness, right? So you have to absorb everything uh, and everything's moving as far as what the cards are, mechanics are, themes are, artwork, swaps, and everything. So uh, it's definitely a gigantic, bigger puzzle of a different ilk when you're inside trying to make a game than when you're outside just trying to play the game, learn the game. Okay, so you obviously, your, uh, was it a six-month internship? I think it was a six-month internship. Yeah, it was um, six, and then it got extended to around uh, eight, so it was around August. I had a uh, offer letter that I still have upstairs. So anyway, uh, it turns into a full-time job. So over the years, you've had the chance to uh, work on a lot of different magic stuff. I'm going to talk a little bit about stuff, some of the stuff that you led. Um, so we're going to start with the very first set that you led, which was World Wake. So let's talk a little bit yeah. about leading your very first set. Right. So I remember that being brought into the office and uh, you were there and they're saying, Ken, we're going to have you lead this set. It's a small set. It's a little early for you to lead a set, but uh, here you go. Right. Because <laughs> I play test. I'd been on Zendikar and I actually play tested the early version of Zendikar when it was called uh, Landa Palooza. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. I had a, a grasp on that. And so World Wake was my first lead. I got to make a bunch of cards that I've always wanted to make. Uh, Amulet of Vigor is one. Terastodon is another. So uh, I had a lot of... I'd been given reins of stuff I wasn't used to having the reins for. Now I specifically remember uh, early design playtests of World Wake. The lands mattered like way too much. Right, we had landfall mattering. We had when you play a forest that would matter, to where it would matter most on your sixth or seventh turn. You actually just wanted to draw more basic lands off the top of your deck, and all the spells were way worse than just playing another <laughs> land. Uh, that's what we call over theming, right? So, uh, World Weight continues to be my favorite set um, that I've ever done. It has a very special place in my heart. Well, it, was your, it was your first set. You always remember your first set. set is it's World Week. Yeah, my first set was Tempest, and I, I have a warm spot for Tempest. That was my first set. Um, okay, so we make World Week. So the next thing you did was actually not a, uh, a premiere set, but was a, um, a supplemental set, Arch Enemy. Let's talk a little bit about making Arch Enemy. Yeah, so Arch Enemy is the sort of many versus one uh, multiplayer format. I had, at some point in R&D, I, I had the most multiplayer experience of anyone that had been there because most people were hired off of having Pro Tour experience, but I've only had one, literal one Pro Tour I've been to, and I played tons of multiplayer during those college years. So uh, we had the notion that could a different kind of multiplayer be where one person's the big bad and something like two, three, or four other people can sort of gang up on them. Uh, so you have to sort of power up the the arch enemy to where they can handle it. So uh, arch enemy is the many versus one multiplayer format. And it's I, I like doing stuff like that because you get to make uh, lots of griefy things happen, right? It's fun to feel very overpowered. Yeah, uh, for those that don't know, real quick, uh, Ken, Ken is the, the griefer of R&D. Uh, he, yeah. he loves, uh, griefer meaning you enjoy sort of the pain of other players. Right. We could be playing the game, but 
it's more fun if I play the game and then you sort of like suffer watching me play the game. That's, <laughs> but uh, that's it's taken me a long time to come to terms to admit that. By the way, a griefer uh, to me. Yeah, so I mean, Unashamed Me was was very interesting in that. Like one of the things I like about um, uh, so this is one of our innovative products, Innovation Skew, which is just here's a different way to play Magic. Here's something that's different from the norm and. Um, the, the, I love the flavor of Arch Enemy, just the, the, the giant cards that the Arch Enemy used, and that they just, they really had this, like, crazy supervillain sort of feel to them. Yeah, the balance is the most difficult thing, uh, which is not my strong suit, right? To, and get maybe 75% of the way there, but getting the Arch Enemy to be balanced, and we did slightly different stuff in Arch Enemy Nickel Bowl. That's right, some of the schemes, they actually, like, level up and stuff later in the game. So uh, it's fun, different format, but again, the balance is difficult to uh, get under control. Okay, next up was New Phyrexia, which was definitely, uh, uh, I guess, uh, World Wake was a small set. I'll call New Phyrexia a medium set. Right, so I was specifically asked by uh, VP Bill Rose to make New Phyrexia feel uh, not like a third set, right? Because it was uh, the third in a line, Scars of Mirrodin, Mirrodin Besieged, New Phyrexia. They wanted it to feel like, oh, this is sort of one step away from being a third set. So definitely wanted it to feel like the bad guys have won, the Phyrexians are taking their victory lap, and evil abounds. So some of that uh, griefer uh, tendencies leaked in there. There's lots of bleedy things, lots of uh, stuff to make opponents lose life, lots of color pie bendy things that make all the colors feel evil. Um, so that's probably the the most you know evil feeling I could I can make uh, something feel in a magic set. Uh, that's new Phyrexia. Yeah, one for the audience that might not have played during that time. We did this thing where we went back to Mirrodin, which we had visited before, and then you learned that oh my god, the Phyrexians were there. And then in the second set, there was a war in which like the Phyrexians were like ten percent of the first set, um, and then they were at fifty percent of the second set. And we told the audience, depending on the outcome of the war, the third set would either be New Phyrexia or Mirrored and Pure, and we didn't let them know the name of the set till like, right before the set released. Right, so uh, I definitely wanted to feel 90% of Phyrexian set one, right? 10% Mirrored and stuff. So uh, I think the players mostly figured that out, but... The, the, sm uh, the smart, the got, smart ones figured it out. What they wanted. There was a lot of debate, but the smart ones, the, the people that sort of kind of understand our systems, figured it out because we made it so that when the block was done, half the cards were Frexian and half the cards were Mirin, and if you crunch the numbers, you could figure that out. But okay, so let's yeah. go. So the, your next big project was another um, innova innovation skew, Commander decks. There's this format that yeah. was kind of popular, uh, so we made decks for it. Yeah, Commander Grassroots format was getting a bunch of play by R&D uh, internally as well, um, and I made a bunch of decks. Goto Bandit Warlord was my favorite one, but I had a handful of others. So 
at the time, it wasn't Commander. It was just an innovation multiplayer SKU. So think of something like you could play it Two-Headed Giant, you could play it Free-For-All, something like that, which uh, actually became different uh, products later, Battle Bond, right, and Conspiracy. Yeah. But eventually it was settled on, hey, if we take this format, we call it Commander, we make specific cards for it, and maybe clean up the rules and uh, stuff like that, we could make a product specifically geared towards it. And so that became five commander decks with lots of new cards and new three-color commanders. These are wedges because they had the least amount of support. You could play like Vorosh the Hunter or something, but we gave you the Mimeoplasm, right? So uh, that's why we chose the wedges. They needed the most love, and we made a bunch of multiplayer skewing uh, new cards. And that product was so popular, it became a yearly staple. (laughs) Yeah, it almost became annual. It was too slow to get annualized in the beginning, so we had a Commander's Arsenal to fill the interim, and then it became like Commander 2012, 13, 14, 15, right? And we've actually expanded it to be, uh, you know, try to give people Commander wherever they can, including our normal sets too, right? So the format's that popular. Okay, so the next set you did, we're back to a premiere set, is you did Return to Ravnica. What was that like? Right, so, re- so that was uh, pretty cool because we knew that Ravnica was beloved. It was actually my favorite uh, set uh, leading up to being inside R&D. So the thing about original Ravnica, there were three, there was four guilds, three guilds, three guilds, and that was a three-set model, right? This time we did it different. There were five and then five, right? And Dragon's Maze was the last set with all of them. So we needed to fit five guilds in one set and five in the other. So we had to do a little puzzle of maybe some fast ones, maybe some slow ones, right? You want your speed to be there, uh, balance between both sets. And so we had to come up with new mechanics for the five guilds uh, uh, that were similar but not the same, right? So it's a... uh, Golgari needed a graveyard mechanic, right? Uh, Azorius kind of wanted a slow, controlly mechanic, but so what was the uh, first did... Azorius mechanic we did? Uh, that's where you reveal it on your upkeep and get no, 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 not no, I don't, I don't mean the one we did originally. Oh. I mean in, in this in design for Return to Ravnica, we started with a different mechanic that we later printed in a different set. What, what 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 mechanic first was here, but we took it out, and then it ended up showing up in a later set? Well, we, we printed Detain. I know we tried a couple things that we cut that we cut because they were too lame. Uh, which one are you specifically thinking of? Constellation was first for Azorius. Oh, but it did. It yeah. wasn't the problem. Was it's hard to do things that are very synergistic, very like theme to something because the things around it don't have that theme and so it's hard to care about things sometimes like that so yeah we cut that pretty quick like card type stuff is a hard sell in a set with uh guilds and you're trying to wiggle people around in draft yeah but we tried a lot of stuff for all the guilds to end up where we uh ended up 
So overload is a mechanic that I had actually in my great designer search again, yeah. my original submission. So uh, you can kind of tell I like to make, you can, if it doesn't get printed once, it's a secret of being an R&D, you can keep trying it until it sticks. You're telling me I'm the master of that. <laughs> yeah. Just be persistent and keep trying. Eventually they'll overload, it'll stick. Hedron alignment will stick. So... Um, okay, so after Return to Ravnica, uh, the next set you led was a middle set, Born of the Gods. Right, so Born of the Gods had a bunch of structure to it, being a middle set, so we knew what the first set had. It had Theros with gods, heroes, and monsters, and then we knew that we needed some more gods, some more heroes, some more monsters. So the gods... For sets two and three, Journey into Nyx, Born of the Gods, we did the multicolor ones, right? So we had some of those to fill. We did a different monster mechanic in Tribute. Uh, and then we had a we had a story thing, trying to make uh, creatures feeling inspired. At least when we were playtesting it, uh, we called it, like, dreaming. Uh, yeah. Because the storyline is if you have enough followers thinking about you, worshiping you, believing in you, uh, and you're a god, then you actually become real, right? So that was the inspiration for uh, the inspired mechanic throughout Born of the Gods. Yeah, there was a... Behind the scenes, there, the, a lot of the story shifted a bit as, as we were making it. And uh, that, like originally there was going to be a big war in the third set between the mortals and the and the... And the creatures made by the gods and none of that actually ended up happening right we, we were trying to build up some kind of you know bigger sale conflict to you know choose a side right yeah uh, yeah it, it, so uh yeah board of the gods is interesting and it definitely um we we kind of knew where we wanted to start and we kind of knew where we wanted to end because we we wanted to save some stuff for the third set because third sets are kind of hard um, but Born was kind of straddling between the two things, and it definitely was a tricky was a tricky set. Right. Yeah, we wanted to save all the constellation that you mentioned earlier, linears yeah. for the third set, because yeah, usually the problem is the third set has the difficulty, which is you know the thought that New Phyrexia was having when I was told by the VP to you know try to try to be bigger slash more main setty, right? So. Uh, but I think we stopped three set models for a little while after that. Yeah, well, yeah, we did. Um, okay, so your next set was another middle set, uh, Fate Reforged, talking about a set living in between two other sets. Right. So Fate Reforged is the middle small set between uh, two large sets, right? Yep. It's a the it's a time travel story. So the cons of Tarkir have won the day in the first set. And in the third set, the dragons of Tarkir have won the day. But in Fate Reforged, it's a thousand years in the past. And Sarkhan uh, Vol is the POV character. And so both dragons and uh, cons can win the day. So it's up in the air. Yeah, the way, so we, drafted, the way, the way we drafted the set was you drafted the... Cons came out, and then when Favor Forge, you drafted them together. And then when uh, Dragons came out, you just drafted just Dragons and Fate. You didn't draft Cons because uh, they represented the two different versions of the timeline, basically. Right. They were supposed to not coexist, 
right? Yeah. The time travel trope, right? You, two things, uh, they're mutually exclusive. So there's a bunch of gimmicks in Fate Reforged trying to hint that, hey, you know, this inventor created a, a vial in this timeline and a bow in that timeline because you got to shoot dragons in one timeline or shoot or blow up humans in the other, right? So it's a, uh, it had a bunch of gimmicks, I'll say, to try. And it was hard. It was easy to do the things pointing at cons of Tarkir and way harder to do the ones pointing at dragons of Tarkir because that set was still being made, being in flux. Yeah, and, and the fact that you had a, uh, it had a, it worked with both sets. I mean, I, I know when I stuck you on it, I, I, when I picked you to be the lead of it, I'm like, I knew it was a very complicated set. So uh, I, I had faith yeah. for you to try to figure that all out. Yeah, that's that's why there's a bunch of uh, like hybrid mythics, like Tassiger and, and those rares that have one color hybrid mana of the other two. So you could play them in your cons deck that's wedge colors, or you could play it in your Dragons of Tarkir deck that's only two colors. Yep. So we had to straddle a bunch of lines like that. Okay, so let's just jump to the next set. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get through all your sets here. So the next set you did was Eldritch Moon. Ooh, very creepy. Uh, so Eldritch Moon is the uh, cosmic horror uh, only hinted at, right? Yeah. In Shadows of Anistrad. But now full-blown Eldrazified werewolves, Eldrazified humans uh, going crazy everywhere. So... More transform cards. This time they become colossal Eldrazi. That's a thing we did on the backsides of a lot of the cards. Uh, and we tried to play up a sense of dread, right? So the werewolves actually uh, flip in a different way in that set. There's some anticipation to it. Uh, your creatures could uh, spring forth from other ones, right? So we, we tried to get the Evolve theme uh, big and loud. And to top that all off, uh, I had a pretty crazy PowerPoint slide uh, that got a lot of wows that would show uh, the two angels that would form Brizella, right? Yep. They would, uh, Bruna and Gisela could flip over and meld into Brizella, right? The voice of Nightmare. So I had it animated on a slide. It wasn't real yet. Yeah, you, but um, behind the, here's a behind the scenes thing for the audience. Uh, you have been trying to figure out how to make some sort of mechanic where things came together, like in New Phyrexia, that was one of your mechanics that ended up getting cut. But um, it, it was a, it was a passion of yours to try to figure out, and then you realized that double face cards could, could get you there. Right. Yeah. Uh, just something fun that cards could do in general is you could you know uh, smash them together and get something bigger and better. So. Tried it multiple times and needed the transform, the backside of two different transform cards to get there uh, for the, you know, three meld pairs in Heldrick Moon. Okay. So, so uh, that was BFM inspired, right? Yes. That's the first time that was done. Yeah, BFM and Unglued was the uh, our first uh, smashing cards together. Okay, so the last premiere set that uh, you led was Ixalan, which you and I actually co-led together. Right. Uh, Ixalan, the exploring uh, plane, where it's a new plane, so we had to fill it in with all the denizens, right? So we had a couple sort of 
explorers. They were the pirates. They were the vampires. And then a couple sort of uh, people that were already there. So we've got merfolk, right? <laughs> uh, they're, they're defending the temple. There's a secret, right, to defend. So we, we tried to put a bunch... There's the explore mechanic in general that's supposed to get a feeling of going on an adventure, right? And I we started with a bunch of crazy grids for how the colors would work. Yep. I specifically remember dinosaurs being blue-green because uh, you could have big, stompy monsters on the battlefield, but some, I guess, plesiosaurs in the ocean, right? Yeah. Uh, a mosasaurus or two. However, after playing with iterations that were like that, we decided, hey, um, we need more. I think people are going to want more dinosaurs than this. So we swapped them to Naya and sort of decided, hey, maybe the the big plant eaters and maybe the pterosaurs would be white, right? Yeah, the problem we had the, the problem we had when they were blue-green was they were just one archetype. And so many people wanted to draft dinosaurs that everyone, everyone was fighting over blue-green. And we're like, oh, dinosaurs are cool. Let's, let's, let's put them in more colors so more people can draft them. Right. So eventually wiggling, uh, uh, wiggling things around, we decided that people would like the pirates and the dinosaurs the most. So they got three different colors. And then the smaller tribes got to be vampires and merfolk. So... And we, we gave them as fresh color, right? Merfolk get green and vampires get white. So, I mean, we try to be fresh all around because that's what a new play needs to be. It needs to have, you know, self-identity, something that hasn't been done before. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that we thought people wouldn't like vampires or merfolk. Just we had done a lot of merfolk and vampires in Magic's history and dinosaurs and pirates were mostly new. I mean, we had touched on them a little bit, but mostly were new tribes that you could build. Yeah, so we felt that there's a bunch of stuff or, you know, pent-up rage or pent-up emotion or pent-up want to actually give Ramirez de Petro, right, the true calling, uh, and to not accidentally make dinosaurs like Allosaurus Rider, uh, right, to do him justice. So, uh, Ken, I am almost at my desk here. Um, so I'm just curious, uh, looking back, I mean, you've been at Wizards how many years now? Uh, since January 15, 2007, so that's 13, 13 years pl- plus coronavirus, right? So what, uh, so, uh, sort of a sum up, sort of, uh, your, your time working on magic, what, if you had to give a, a, a parting thought on it. Uh, what I like to say is, uh, magic's a big game, but it's only getting bigger, and it's a very voracious and hungry beast and it will always want new cards and that's what i'm here for well anyway it's been uh, it's always a pleasure uh, ken and i have been in many 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 teams together in fact we're on we're on a team now doing cool stuff in the future that you guys can't know about yet but uh uh it's always yeah, fun work with you ken <laughs> uh but uh, yeah. oh, go ahead yeah thanks everyone uh enjoy the interview and uh hopefully we'll have longer track to work <laughs> but anyway, guys, I now see my desk, so we all know what that means. It means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thanks, Ken, for joining us. Thank you, Mark. And you guys, I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.